Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. Putting the feet up and ignoring God's call is never an option. In this episode, Pastor Andrew explores our heart for God. Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Well, if anyone could be an arbiter, Jesus certainly had the qualifications. If anyone had the quality to be a judge, judged by Father God of the whole planet. So why does Jesus pull back from being the arbiter between this gentleman and his brother that they might divide their inheritance fairly. Because Jesus wants us to understand that money is not where it's at. That's a surprise, isn't it? Money is not where it's at. Remember some years ago we lived at a place called Nadimuk, which is in the Wimmera. And I remember us having the interview with the warden before we went there and showed us the flooded rivers of the town and said, whatever you do when you come, don't pray for rain. Well, we came in 82 and we had the 82 drought. By the end of that year, they were begging me to pray for rain. Then we moved to a place called Hopeton in the Mallee. And I remember driving up there the first day and all you could see was just red dust. There was no crops, no sign of anything, no grass, just red dust. And I arrived at Hopeton, got out of the car, went and stood on the porch of the rectory and it began to rain. And it rained for three days and the drought was over. Now one of the things about the Mallee was drought's good for the Mallee because it means when the rain comes they will have a bumper crop. And they did. They had a bumper crop. And I remember at one annual meeting after the crop had come in. And, of course, we're anxious over the finance. We were doing so much fundraising just so we could pay the bills. And this old farmer says, we had $30 million come into our town as a result of the harvest. And here we can't give to the church. That We can't give enough of that to the church. And I think that reflects something of what Jesus is getting at here. What is the heart issue that holds back us giving to God? 
Now, the gentleman in a parable in Luke 12 here, he had had a bumper crop. He had had the bumper of bumper crops to the extent where he was going to keep him going for years, to keep him going for decades. If he could just get enough of the crop undercover, so build some extra barns and just get it all in there and then sell it off year by year as needed be and make a profit, making sure that he's sold at the premium prices which come at various times during the year. And having barns full of it, he could pick when he sold it. He had it made. So he just put his feet up, you know, don't have to work anymore, just enjoy life. And then Jesus says this, you fool. Now I guess Jesus can call people fools. He tells us not to call people fools. But Jesus sort of gets a good gist off when someone has really been a fool. He says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. You see, we can't tell the future. None of us can guarantee tomorrow, or at least guarantee we will be here tomorrow. And that's what Jesus is wanting us to get a hold of here. What is the value of your life? What is the meaning of your life? And if you're caught with greed, and greed comes in the sense of money and the things of this planet, the things of this world, the physical things, the physical entities. Now we need to get a hold of something here. Because as Christians, we can get this whole issue of money wrong. Jesus is not against us having money. Jesus is not against us having the things of this world. I remember a preacher sharing that he had been invited to speak at a certain city and was being put up by one of the businessmen of the church and this man had picked him up in a really nice car and as they were driving, he says, I, I managed to pick this car up really cheap. Nice car picked up really cheap. And got to his home, which was a really nice home, and there was a yacht. And he said, I managed to get the yacht really cheap. After a little bit of this dialogue, the preacher said to him, you seem to be ashamed of the things that you have. He says, well, the church makes us feel it's wrong to have them. And there are parts of the church that have that problem with riches, that problem with abundance, that problem with prosperity. It actually doesn't come from the Bible. and It doesn't come from Jesus. And often it comes just out of plain jealousy. You know, poor people can have greed. They may not have riches, but they certainly have jealousy about it. Greed is not limited to rich people. It is something that settles in our heart and rules our thoughts. It creates, for some of us, an aching heart. 
And for this guy, it came as a lazy heart. Put my feet up, take it easy for decades to come. What does our heart say to God? And Jesus concludes this by saying, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You're not going to be here. Somebody else is going to get all those barns full of seeds. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So what does it mean to be rich towards God? Well, it certainly means having God first in our heart. It also means making God first in our life. It means making God the priority of what we do. It means we have a whole transformation of who we are as when we read Colossians, Paul says that we're to set our minds on things above non-hurtly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also reappear with him in glory. So, if we're going to be rich towards God, then you're going to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthy nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And then he goes on to say, but now you must also rid yourself of such things as these, Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And then Paul says, do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So what does it mean to be renewed in the knowledge of the image of the Creator? And here in this parable, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is trying to get across to us at least one aspect of what it means to be renewed in the image of our Creator. And that is dealing with the issue of greed in our life. As I was reading this, it just struck me. I thought, okay, here's this guy in Palestine who's rich to the hilt. And I started thinking, you know, this is in Roman-occupied territory. The Romans are in control. And the Romans were not polite people. They were extremely brutal And yet the political work the Sadducees had done had enabled Israel, enabled the Jewish people, for many of them, to live in their own land and prosper, and securely prosper. And if you think through a number of the stories that Jesus tells, you actually get a picture of these people. You've got Lazarus and the rich man. He used to go in and out of his estate time and time again, and there was Lazarus, 
sitting at the front gate begging and begging. And I'm sure the rich man saw him initially. But they came the day after continually holding back and not responding to Lazarus' cries. He no longer saw Lazarus at all when he left his property or came back. You know, when we hold back what we ought to give, when we hold back what God wants us to give, we eventually become blind to the need itself. And sometimes it takes a wake-up call from God to get our attention. And in this parable, Jesus is wanting the rich people in the community to wake up. You are in mortal danger. In the midst of your luxury, in the midst of your prosperity, in the midst of your riches, which we already noted aren't in themselves wrong to have. But in the heart attitude where you're not giving, not working, not striving, you're in deep trouble. If we think that we can hold back what God asks of us, then we're in deep trouble. And this is a hard call. You know, one of the beautiful things about when I became a Christian is I don't know who told me or how they told me. Tithing was a part of the deal. You come to Christ and you tithe. And it has never been, over decades, a problem. That's part of our response to God. But it's the beginning of the deal, not the end of it. It's the beginning of the giving, not the end of the giving. And that giving expands and grows in circumstances and situations as God takes us through life and puts us in different communities with different issues and different requirements and that. And then he joins us to a place like this. And there's something so unique about our Cornerstone Church. Coming out of its past as St. Jude's, and into the future of whatever it is that God is wanting us to do, he's actually called us to be a giving church. And you know over a decade, we've asked people to ask God what he wants them to do. We haven't said, look, you all ought to be giving to this, or you all ought to be doing that. We respond to what God nudges our hearts to do. And over the years, I've watched this process. And what has been stunning is the number of people that have indicated they said no to God, not yes. That they knew that God had nudged them. They knew that God had asked them to give. And they said no. And then I watched others pick up what they wouldn't do and give over and above what God was asking them to give. And it comes back to 
the very essence of what Jesus is saying here. Is your heart rich towards God? Now, we have limited finance. We have limited finance in the sense that God understands the nature of our finance. That's why the tithe is 10% of what you've earned instead of a set figure. That's why the Bible talks about a tithe. Because it takes into account the limited nature of our finance. So you want to know how to turn your limited nature of finance into unlimited? Is be rich in your heart towards God. To give as he asks. To give what is required. You see, when you're rich towards God in your heart and you're hearing him and giving according to what he's asking, he never lets you down. He never shortchanges you. He doesn't rip you off. Jesus tells the story of that widow who gave two mites. All of her income she threw into the treasury. She's poor as poor as you can be and throws everything she's got into the treasury. Do you think God is going to let her down? Do you think God is going to rip her off? No, there's a provision in God for her. I remember at Natty Muck, we had a lady who was probably the poorest member of our congregation. She lived in the back of the Salvation Army Hall. And she didn't always get to church, but she would send her giving, which was in a paper bag of coins. And she would say to the lady who was going to take it for her, when you put it in the plate, hold it above the plate and let it drop. So everybody knows my giving has arrived. Right? And every now and again you hear this bang as the bag of coins hits it. I remember collecting for the Red Cross once and I was about to walk past her place thinking she doesn't have enough money to give. And I thought, well, that's not my decision, is it? Do you know we make decisions for others? We don't ask because we think they can't afford it. But why should we exclude them? Why is that my decision? That's their decision. So I went in and I knocked on the door and I said, hey, I'm collecting for Red Cross. Oh, I've been waiting for you. And she went to her mantelpiece and took an envelope and gave it to me. She was already ready to give to the Red Cross. You see, when your heart is rich to God, God does not let you down. And it straightens your thinking. It straightens your orientation. Because, you see... Our hearts are so overburdened with the things of this world. We really need God to break through all of that, to get us orientated properly. That's why our sentence is saying this. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I don't know about you, but I find that difficult to do. When trouble comes, my focus goes straight to the trouble. 
when things are not going right, even though there have been blessings, isn't it the negative things always seem to get the focus? One of our counsellors at Teen Challenge used to say, it takes 20 positive thoughts to undo one negative thought. You've had someone make a comment about you that's just ripped you apart? Just one comment. You know it's not true, and yet you can't get over it. It's why Jesus is saying, let your heart be rich towards God. And as we were working last week, and we were talking about containment, and one of the effects of abuse is containment of giving. It's because we close our heart in defense. When we're abused, we close up. And it takes a lot of strength and a lot of God's strength to break out of that and to begin to open your heart to God and to others. Robert Shuler in one of his books notes that it is healthier to trust again when someone has disappointed you than not to trust anybody ever. Once bitten, twice shy. Is that right? And we know that's true. We pull back. And sometimes I'm pulling back from something and thinking, I'm pulling back because some guy 20 years ago did something to me. And I'm thinking, this person's going to do it. Well, I don't know if they're going to do it, but let's not take the risk. But it's psychologically more healthier to take the risk again and be disappointed than not to take the risk at all, not to trust. Yeah, people are going to let you down. And there are going to be times when circumstances make it impossible to fulfil things that seem to be easy to promise and easy to achieve. How do we break through all that? by being rich in our hearts towards God. It's going beyond putting our feet up and taking it easy. If I'm rich towards God, I'm going to burst out of the containments, the containments that come from abuse, the containments that come from people letting me down, the containments that come from the circumstances of life, the containments that come out of the imposition of poverty, that as being rich to God, I will break out and prosper in God. It doesn't mean I have to take a vow of poverty. Maybe God puts that on some people. It is not what he puts in his book. He doesn't want us to be poor and downtrodden and have nothing. God delights in the prosperity of his servants. But he wants us to prosper with a rich heart committed to his kingdom and to the work of his kingdom and to the purpose of his kingdom in this broken and forlorn world. Because if we give up, Who is there to do anything? 
We have the light of God. We have the gospel of God. We have the promise of blessing and salvation and redemption and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And that world out there desperately needs us. I don't know if you haven't noticed, the world isn't going very well at the moment. So it needs us to be people who are rich to God. Let us pray. Let me just take this moment. I want you to just say to the Lord, I'm in. I'm on board. I'm going to be rich to you. And I'll meet whatever you ask me to meet. And I'll trust that as I meet that, you will prosper me. You will look after me. You will not let me fall. And Jesus, we just come to you. We thank you for the courage you had to speak this parable into being. To call us to be rich to Father God in our hearts. To be committed to you. So strengthen our hearts that we can make that commitment real and we can fulfill its call. And we ask this in your name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages from Pastor Andrew, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au.